this evening. I'm going to do something I don't usually do, and I preach uh, the I seek to preach the message of Luke. I'm not going to go through every chapter and verse, or else we really would be here for such a long time. But I uh, want to gloss over the book of Luke and uh, capture the message with you. By the congregation in Cambridge, we have gone through this beautiful gospel. We come to the end, and uh, I find it profitable uh, to leave it behind with uh, a sense of the message as a whole on our hearts and on our minds. And so that's what we did this morning in Cambridge and this evening now with you, Lord willing. So first I want to read with you uh, chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 80. These are words of uh, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, um, just after John the Baptist's birth. Uh, And he prophesies concerning uh, the ministry not only of his son, but of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it sums up in in a beautiful way. One of the summaries uh, highlights some of the things uh, of this book, or the themes of of Luke's gospel. So, uh, verses uh, 67 to verse 80. And then we'll turn to the last verses of the book. As we read, let's remember that this is God's holy, inspired word. Now his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began. And we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Then also... Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 46, reading to the end of the chapter. It 
So I begin reading at verse 45 to 53 of Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 45. And he, Jesus, opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now came to pass while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. And for a text, although I'm not going to deal with it quite as normally would with a text, a sermon text, but I will... I'll refer to these verses and be somewhat of a lens that we look through the book at uh, of chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. That's our, uh, I'll begin reading at verse 16. This is our, concerning our Lord Jesus Christ after he comes, uh, emerges out of the trials and temptations in the wilderness and he begins his ministry here in his hometown in Nazareth that we see. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 16, focus on 18 and 19. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard of the forest and the trees. What is the relationship of the forest to the trees? When you're looking at a forest, boys and girls, you're looking at the whole forest, what can you conclude with regard to the trees? Is it a deciduous forest? Are these deciduous trees, maple trees, and oak trees, and pine, uh, not pine trees, but... Uh, uh, birch and, uh, or beech trees, or, or is it a, a coniferous forest? And there's pine trees there, and spruce trees, and tamarack perhaps. How, you look at the forest, what can you see of the trees? And, 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 and conversely, if, if you look at one tree in the forest, 
Can you make some conclusions with regard to the whole forest? Well, it's, it can be hard to do so if you're just walking through a forest and to have an idea of, of what the whole forest looks like. Well, we go through a, a book. You preach through a book. You read through a book of the Bible, chapter by chapter. It can be difficult sometimes to get a, a bird's eye view of the whole book as a whole. And so I hope this evening is to, to get a bit of a, of, of a bird's eye view. We're going to be skipping over a lot of details and Luke, but hopefully uh, capturing some of the emphases, some of the themes that, that are, are woven through the book of Luke, some of the concerns that Luke has on his heart and mind, so that as we close uh, the book, that we leave with some of the echoes of its teachings in our minds. Luke, as you might know, was a, was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. There's a point at which in the, in, in the book of Acts, he also writes a book of Acts, and, and they, they belong together, Luke and Acts, and Acts is a sequel. And then there's a point in which in, Luke, in Acts, where all of a sudden, we read we as you're going on Paul's travels. There's a we there. And it's clearly that's where Luke joins in um, the travels of Paul. And Paul calls him the beloved physician in, the, in his epistles. And so Luke reflects some of Paul's influence, just as, as Mark did for Peter. Uh, Paul, you know, is, is a, the apostle to the Gentiles. And Luke, the historian, he, he wrote for the Gentiles. He wrote specifically, we know, for Theophilus, who he calls the most excellent Theophilus, a, a nobleman, a, a Roman a, a nobleman. And he writes, as we see in the first verses of Luke, he writes an orderly account. Others have, have taken up the task of writing account of Jesus Christ based on the material, based on the eyewitnesses' reports. And Luke also sets about to do that, but he sets about to do it in, in somewhat of a different way, to do it as, a, as, a, as an academic, to do so as a historian, to do so with his knowledge and understanding, and, 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 and particularly geared toward also then the nobles. And what does Luke desire to emphasize? What does he want uh, them to understand? Undoubtedly, to explain, along with the book of Acts, to explain this international movement of the Christians in the Roman Empire. What is going on? How is it that these people will die for their newfound faith? How is it that their lives were transformed? How was it that the Jewish scriptures have suddenly captured the fascination of these, these Greek and Roman Christians? What's going on? And at the root of it, there is this man who was executed by the Romans. One of the things that Luke repeatedly says is it was necessary. It was necessary. Necessary for Christ says to be about my father's business. Why? It was necessary 
for me to for him to preach the kingdom of God. And many times, Luke says, it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer. Jesus, but these are the words of Jesus, but these are words that Luke is highlighting. Necessary for the Son of Man to suffer, to rise again, and to enter his glory. Why? Well, it has to do with the fact that Luke also, a number of times, more than the other gospel writers, refers to God's purposes, God's plans, the Father's will. Something stretching over all, all these things. Some purpose and plan. I read this in, in the mind, specifically the covenant purposes of God. As he also mentions someone else. More than, any, uh, many, uh, more than the other gospel writers, and that's Abraham. God's covenant promise to Abraham. It's really at back of the whole gospel. His covenant promise in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. A blessing for all the nations through the seed of Abraham. Who is that seed? Boys and girls, you know, Luke would say, it's Jesus Christ, right? And what is that blessing? How is it through this seed that there is a blessing for all the nations, for all the Gentiles? In the Gospel of Luke, we see God's covenant promises fulfilled in working out salvation for the nations through His heavenly gift, Jesus Christ. In Luke, we see God's covenant promises fulfilled in working out salvation for the nations through His heavenly gift, Jesus Christ. Look at this through three points. First, Christ's blessed person. Then secondly, Christ's blessed uh, work. And then thirdly, Christ's blessed message. First, Christ's blessed person. You see, Christ's blessed person, who He is, assures us of His divine presence. His divine presence continuing with us. Our Lord Jesus Christ, when he had completed his trial in the wilderness, being tempted by the devil, begins his ministry preaching in his own hometown of Nazareth. And he opens a scroll to Isaiah chapter 61, and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. Think about that. For the Lord Jesus Christ to preach that and do so in the hometown where these people had seen him grow up. They knew Jesus Christ as a little boy. For him to preach this text, a text which which the Jews would understand could only be really fulfilled by the Messiah. Jesus Christ is clearly, he himself has an awareness of himself. 
And he's claiming to be someone that is entirely set apart. Such a one who claimed this would be the anointed of the Lord. And such an anointing is not one that somebody can simply have by wishing it, desiring it, aspiring to it. But it's only by the will of the Lord. Only because God has given this to him. And Christ is aware of this. He claims this for himself. Uh, from the start of the Gospel of Luke, we, we see that Luke would, would have us to know something of the wonder of who this Jesus Christ is. That indeed, He is so, so set apart from anyone else. He is uh, so designated by the Father to be one that is entirely unique from everyone else. The, at the, the beginning, the first couple chapters, we have this extended nativity report. We have this extended... Uh, 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 record of of Jesus conception and his birth but is intermingled with the account that with the with the conception and birth of John the Baptist the one who's going to declare the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ there's a step by step parallel contrast between Christ and John the Baptist you have the angelic announcement of John the Baptist's birth it's going to be a miracle. You're going to be born to this, these aged parents. And, and the mother, his mother, was barren. She couldn't have any children before John the Baptist. She couldn't have them in her old age. It's a miracle. And then you have the next, a, a, another angelic announcement of another conception of Jesus Christ. And what's more, he's going to be born to a virgin. He's not going to have an earthly father. You see, every time our Lord's conception, our Lord's birth surpasses John's in glory and in wonder. He is preeminent. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the angel says to Mary. The power of the highest will overshadow you. The Holy One, who will be called, will be in you, will be the Son of God. And he will be great. Of his kingdom there will be no end. He's filled with the spirit we see. And he's led by that spirit into the wilderness. And he's subject to these personal temptations. These personal attacks by the devil. Even when he's at such a weak moment when he's been fasting for 40 days. He's subject to direct supernatural temptations from Satan. And unlike anyone else, unlike you or me, were we subject to that? He doesn't fail. He doesn't fail. Rather, Luke tells us that immediately after this, he returns in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, where news of him went out throughout the region. And being anointed with that Spirit of God, he preaches with authority. He preaches a passage which we just, we just read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then he says, then he says, today this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. With authority and power. After this, in the chapters following, he casts out demons and these demons confess him as the Christ, the Son of God. The Son of God. 
the Jews understood would indeed be God. The Son of God. He cleanses lepers by His power. He heals the sick and the the diseased. He raises up those who have died. He does this of Himself. He never does so in the name of God. In the name of the Father. He does so by His own power. By His own divine nature. When John the Baptist wonders if he's really the coming one, Christ tells John the Baptist's disciples, tells him, go back to John the Baptist and tell him the things that you have seen. Jesus doesn't need to to, to say anything. He just simply says, you tell John the things that you have seen. It will be self-evident to John the Baptist. Twice in Luke chapter 5, and then in Luke chapter 6, Luke says, at the power of of the Lord was going out from him and he was healing all those around him such an extent that one woman even just touches him and power goes out from Jesus and she's healed you see the glorious power of God here walking our streets wearing our clothes Wearing our shoes, talking among us. The power of the Lord goes out from him. Then Luke chapter 8, the disciples say, Who can this be? He commands even the winds and the waters, and they obey him. This man, who we see as God, was also clothed with divine love and grace. He says he comes in the, as in fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 61, anointed by the Spirit. He comes to preach the gospel to the poor. And the poor doesn't simply mean here financially poor, but it means those who, uh, those who were uh, disregarded by society, rejected by society, out of the religious franchise, so to speak, the outcasts. He comes to heal the brokenhearted. He comes to proclaim liberty to the captives, to the prisoners. He preaches that the beggar Lazarus was received up into glory as a son of Abraham. He brings healing to a cripple whom he says is a son of Abraham. He, he declares a daughter of Abraham, another lady who had been, had, had been uh, diseased from birth, been disabled from birth. And Machen says... In this, and in his power and his love, and in the manifest in the manifestation of who he was, that Luke would have us to know that God has given to us a Savior from without. From without. You see, his own works and his own words manifest it. Luke doesn't doesn't he, he just puts Jesus Christ out there for us to see. And we see that this is a Savior from outside of our world. Outside of our reality. Outside of our homes and lives. He is divine. But it's not just then a a, a theological point that Luke is arguing for in this book. It's not a, a theological treatise. And Luke doesn't even just present it in terms of Jesus' works and Jesus' words, but also through another lens. Through the people. 
through their words. You see, at the end of the book, the risen, glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, he, having settled the hearts of the disciples and the knowledge of, of who he was, he says to them, you are my witnesses. You are my witnesses. You have seen and heard. And you're going to go out and tell people. You see, God is, is doing a supreme work here in His Son, Jesus Christ. And, and as we, 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 we see that this, we, we, we see the, the, the idea here in, in Isaiah before that, that God says uh, He's going to assemble the people together. And, and He's going to do a marvelous work in their eyes. He's going to fulfill salvation before them. And He says, You are my witnesses. You will be my witnesses of this. And that's what God is doing. We see that's, that's what Luke is showing to us here. That these are the legal witnesses. The people are the legal witnesses of the covenant act of God in saving His people through Jesus Christ appearing before them. God gathers them together at this. And they see Christ coming into the world. They see, they hear Him teaching. They see Him raising the dead, working His miracle. And what does Luke do every time he records their responses? It's almost like an experiment happening and, and recording what happens, the observations after. Luke records all their responses. Right? Do you remember any of them? Mary pondered these things in her heart. The shepherds rejoiced. How many times did Luke say, and the people marveled. And word went out through all the regions about him. And they glorified God. And they praised God. Again and again through every chapter. Luke tells us, these are the covenant witnesses. Luke chapter 7, we read, Fear came on them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. This is John, as Zechariah said, The day spring from on high has visited us. And so, we see in Jesus Christ, in His divine person, that indeed this is God with us. That even after then, He ascends to heaven. He tells them, you wait and remain in Jerusalem because then my Spirit will come upon you. That indeed, this is Jesus Christ. That He is indeed with us. That means congregation, brothers and sisters, even though he's not here in the body with us here, that he manifests himself in the gathering of his people where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of you. He reveals himself through his word to you so that he is with you. In your mind, in your heart, there's probably at least one person here on earth that you, you love to be with. Maybe your spouse, hopefully your spouse if you're married. Maybe a sibling a long ways away. Maybe your parent, mom or your dad. And your heart is lifted up when you think of them coming. 
Perhaps you, you don't have anyone, but you love to have someone who understands you and, and why you did what you did, even though it was wrong, who's gracious to you, forgives you, and loves you nevertheless. There's such a need should cause us to desire the Lord Jesus Christ. To be excited, to rejoice at his coming with to his people, manifesting himself in his word. Because as Zechariah said, he comes to his people when they're in their darkness, in their sadness, and it is as the heavenly light of heaven shining his light upon us. It's here that he manifests himself, especially to you then, in his word, in the gathering of his people. He comes to you in your darkness, in your misery of your lives, in your sin, and he sheds his light upon you. Telling you that he knows you and he loves you and he's with you. And do you receive him? Do we open up our schedules to receive him? Do we rejoice to begin our devotions seeking him? Do we marvel at him? And give him our ears and the eyes of our hearts and even our lives. Christ's blessed person assures us of the divine presence. But secondly, Christ's blessed work assures us of the divine pleasure. Christ's blessed work. You see that it was in the purposes of God that Christ should, in the words of Zechariah, perform the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. That Christ should proclaim liberty to the captives and give knowledge of salvation, give light to those dwelling in darkness. And the astounding thing then in Luke is that it's not simply that Christ goes and preaches about it. It's not just that he prophesies concerning the salvation that will come to Israel and how God will meet with his people but that he himself becomes our salvation, that he himself becomes our meeting place with God. He himself becomes our righteousness. The people saw his works, and they then beheld one in whom there was the fullness of God's grace and love, and also they see the one who is their righteousness. They see that this could not come from the ranks of men. One in whom there is this righteousness and one in whom there is this grace. On the one hand, he taught the necessity of having righteousness, a righteousness that transcends just what the Pharisees would require. This is not a righteousness that, that, that you, you have simply because you got a high seat in the, in the, in the local tabernacle or at the temple. Or because you pretend to be holy. You do long prayers. It's those who hear his word and do it. Those who love their neighbor. Just as that certain Samaritan loved that Jew. And risked his life for him. Those who give. And don't expect anything in return. And give even more what, they, what they've been asked. Those who love their enemies. It's those who forgive. And yet, 
Isn't it striking that as he calls for such righteousness, that he also received tax collectors and sinners. And he ate with them, as the Pharisees said. And it's not just eating, but feasting with them, partying, so to speak, with them. He forgave the sins of the paralytic. He was honored with the, by the tears of the sinful woman, declared her sins forgiven. We are here presented by one who himself is righteousness. One, uh, the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, the lawyers, they all gathered together in order to, to, to try to stick some charge against him, in order to be able to, to have a charge to bring before Pilate in order that they could say, this one needs to be put to death. And they could find nothing. They could find nothing. They tried to trap him in his words. We read... And they could, they were not able to do so. This one is righteous. Righteous and holy. And he declares to us the righteousness that is necessary to please God. But yet, he loves sinners. You see how that works out in Luke's Gospel. And in chapter 9, we have a transition in the book. The first eight chapters, or the, the first four chapters, is, uh, you see his, his, um, his birth and, and his youth, and, and, um, um, and then his, en- his entrance into ministry. And, and from chapter 5 to chapter 8, his Galilean ministry up in the north end of Israel. Chapter 9, there's a transition where our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he turns his face toward Jerusalem. And, he, and he, he, he declares a number of times that the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. He sees the Passover coming and he's determined to be there at Passover. Uh, he knows what is coming. And the prophet, he says, must not die outside of Jerusalem. And as he sets his face toward Jerusalem... We see Satan's opposition increasing as he does so. And so also Satan's henchmen on this earth. They circle around him. They try to trap him. And Christ warns them again and again of what God will do to them. Those who reject God's son. The master's son. The vine, uh, the, the owner of the vineyard's son. But also along the way. We see our Lord Jesus Christ resolve. We see why he is headed towards Jerusalem. It's because, no surprise, because of sinners. Christ declares through the parables that the love of the Father, the love of God, the kind of love that he and his Father have towards sinners as a a man leaving the 99 sheep hunts through the wilderness until he's found it or the woman losing a coin spends hours lights the lamp and and sweeps her house until she finds it or as that father waiting day after day until his lost son comes home that's the kind of love that God has for sinners 
Love that rejoices when that lost son is found. And so too then, our Lord Jesus Christ, as, as Luke would have us to know, he trudges this path of sufferings to Jerusalem. He's the target of their hatred, of their vitriol. He's the target of their, of their defamation uh, uh, defamation ca- uh, cases. He, he, they launch their arguments against him, trying to trap him in his words. He's being pursued, and yet he's pursuing sinners. Going to that cross. And alongside our Lord being arrested and delivered up and mocked and beaten and abused are his disciples. And we see here the the complete picture of humanity. That humanity fails. That humanity has fallen. Even as God works out salvation. You might say, where are the witnesses? The disciples, raising up the sword, one of them, strikes an ear. Not the neck or the head. Strikes the ear off of one of them. and As if he can take the, the kingdom by... One man lifting the sword. We see them running. We see one denying Jesus three times. We see the woman weeping. They are the covenant witnesses. We see the bystanders smiting their chests as they see the one in whom they hoped crucified between two thieves. It's clear in the words of the, the, men, the, the, the two men on the road to Emmaus that they have given up hope in this one. This was he in whom we hoped. Past tense. Doesn't it bring to mind those well-known words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5? While we were yet sinners, while we were weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. Christ, the anointed one, the Son of God, the righteous and holy servant of God, he's offered up in the blackness that descends from God upon Golgotha. And the Father has given, he has given to his Son this cup and, uh, so that he should drink it down. But as he gives up his spirit, Luke tells us that the veil in the temple is rent down the middle. So that we know that the mercy seat that's behind it, that pictures for us the throne of God, that it suddenly stands bare and open. And the way is open for that sinful woman to come. And the father of the paraplegic son whose faith was weak for the grateful leper. And even even these doubting and God-denying disciples to come. To come to the throne of God. Despite all our sin, it's been paid for through Jesus Christ. The priest has gone up before God. He has been presented before God, holy and righteous, and with the wounds that he has incurred because of our sin. And so we may know that we may come. You may come. The message of Luke is that in God's purposes, that 
Your great sins, your unbelief, your crimes have all been forgiven through Abraham's seed so that you can come to him and find life in him. Walk in prayer. Walk in faith to him. Take Christ. God is well pleased with you through Jesus Christ. Righteousness is worked out for sinners. Yours is righteousness. So Christ's blessed work assures us of the divine pleasure. And lastly, this means there's a blessed message. Christ's blessed message assures us of his divine mission. Luke is first. The first book, Acts, is a sequel. Luke, Luke is a work of Christ before God and the people, and it is a basis for the church's life that follows. Luke would have Theophilus and us to know that this is news for the nations. This is news that must go out. The Christ of God has come according to His promises. He's lived among us. He's died for our sins, and He is risen. Like those lepers who are feasting outside the, 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 the temple that has been besieged. They're feasting on this food by, that the deserted army has left. And they're, as they're gorging their stomachs, they suddenly realize, this is not right. Here we are eating all this food and the people inside are starving. We need to tell them. And we who have received the eternal life-giving water and bread. We who have witnessed these things, the message must go out. Yes, you must take it to the highways and the hedges, as Christ says, compel them to come in that his house might be filled. The centurion who glorified God and said, Luke's gospel, certainly this was a righteous man. A righteous man will not be the last Gentile to confess that. Many will see and know that, the, that in the Roman Empire, this was not a man crucified because he was so wicked. This was not one who deserved to be uh, delivered up because he was the cause of the, of the whole public order being, uh, uh, in terms of his sin, in terms of his depravity being disrupted. No, he suffered, he died, he was crucified, he was delivered up because he was righteous and the Savior of sinners. Because he was righteous and in the God's purposes because he was our Savior. And in him, there's a blessing for the nations. There's life, there's salvation, there's righteousness for the nations. And you, Christ says, are witnesses of these things. So that repentance and remission of sins, it must be preached in His name to all nations. Abraham's promise of a blessing through his seed for all nations is fulfilled. And it has been carried to you. It's been carried to me. And what have we done with it? What have you done with it? How have you received it? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but also having received it? Is it your desire to pass that on to the nations around? 
Are you passing it on to your children and grandchildren? Do you lay it before them with urgency? Or do you just watch to see if the bread rises? Or do we yearn for our neighbors to know? Do we seek to overcome our intimidation before the world? Before their philosophies, before their confidence, before their unbelief, before their disdain of the things of God. Do we yearn that the Spirit of God would clothe us with power to still yet speak and to witness? Do we yearn and pray for opportunities and look for opportunities? Remember, that the Pharisees were rebuked and condemned for not desiring to see others come to the blessing of Israel. <clears throat> brothers and sisters, Christ leaves them while blessing them. He leaves them while he, as a high priest, as an interceding, not no longer the atoning high priest, but the interceding high priest is in the act, in the continual act of administering his blessing of grace, of strength, of power, of his spirit upon them. And so his blessing of his spirit and grace continues to be administered to us by our Lord Jesus Christ at his throne day by day on you so that you might also as his witness convey that blessing to others. Let us then rejoice in the Lord and his blessed person and who he is for us as the Lord of light and the Lord of life and of wisdom and of righteousness. Let us rejoice in his work and what he has done for us sinners. Let us also, as the apostles did, as they went to the temple, praising God, let us rejoice in his mission that he has given to us. The mission for the world, the blessing for the nations. Amen. Let's pray.